Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business, putting the business back into the lady business. (laughs) Uh, Today, we have Tiffany Wykevich, She is the president and co-founder of One Hope Wines based in Napa in California. Hi, Tiffany. How are you? Hi, I'm good. JJ, how are you? I'm good. um, I'm excited to have you on. There's been nobody on this that has been from the wine industry at all, probably also because there's not a lot of women in it unless you were born into a family um, of one of the vineyards, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it's still, you know, obviously making a lot of strides, but still, you know, a little um, set in its ways, the wine industry, and in particular, and no matter where you are, I think worldwide, right? doesn't matter where you are. And it's like that, but here we have One Hope Wines and we have Tiffany to tell us about how One Hope is disrupting all of that and democratizing access to wine, all while helping women make more money, which is exactly what we want to hear. So Thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. It's yeah, always yeah. fun to talk about wine. You know, I have a fun job in that way. <laughs> Everybody loves wine it. and making women money. All, exactly. All great things. Um, full disclosure, I'm actually on the board of One Hope Wine. So I've gotten to know Tiffany over the last couple of years, although I've not gotten to visit, unfortunately, due to COVID, the gorgeous winery with that you see in her background right there. Um, so let's get into it. How did you get into this crazy business? Like, yes. So I uh, went to the University of Arizona. So I was in Eller College of Business there. Um, My parents were hellbent on me going to college because I was the first person in my family to go and graduate. And they were in sales. Um, sales and marketing, and um, they were in the office products industry. So when I first kind of went to my career fair, I was uh, really ambitious. Even when I was a senior, I interviewed for companies like Enterprise and even um, Philip Morris and some pharmaceutical companies. And then I interviewed with Gallo Wine Company. And they have an awesome management development program there. And I just thought wine is going to be a lot more fun than paper clips and office products, like what my parents did. And they were a great starting ground to really get started in the industry. We were able to learn a little bit about wine education, but really um, it was sort of a, I was a glorified uh, merchandiser. So I built displays all over the store, um, cross merchandising displays. I got to know everybody in the meat department and the floral department and helped stock shelves so I could get um, better placement in the grocery store for Gala products. So really learned there um, how consumers 
purchase wine, um, women, you know, the five foot five women, right-handed women, as they trained us at Gallo was the primary shopper. So always trying to get our placements around right-handed women. What do you mean? Okay. You had the grab it via you grab it. So you want, you literally want the middle placement at eye level of a five foot five woman. And she was right-handed. So you always wanted to be on the right side of the most popular brand. So like we were always shooting to be, I remember this, we were always shooting to be on the very right of Kendall Jackson. And we wanted the most facings that we could on the shelf. And so, and we wanted to be in the cold box because, you know, for people that wanted it cold, you always wanted your whites in the cold box. So that's where I started. And that's where I met my fellow co-founders at One Hope. We actually all started at Gallo and really we're um, starting to get passionate about starting our own company. As you mentioned, even though um, we're pretty unique because we didn't come from the wine industry, um, we came from Gallo, but we started One Hope in a very unique way, at least for our industry, because there were several co-founders. There was half women and half men. And um, we all came from different families. We weren't part of one family and we had no money. We started the business with $10,000 altogether. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that thing. So yeah. that, you know, we didn't let that stop us, but um, going into what has proven to be a very um, capital intensive industry, a very hard industry to build your brand, um, a very hard industry just for women in general and leadership. Those are the things that I've been working on to kind of like break down those barriers. So we've been able to grow the brand and we just have this really um, strong mission that we're passionate about, which is sharing wine and giving hope and really nourishing the future. We've donated $8 million to date. So we're really, really passionate um, about making an impact, um, making a social impact. And at the time, all the way back when around in 2005, there were brands that were doing cause marketing, like Yo Play Yogurt, Campbell's Soup brands that would support National Breast Cancer Awareness Month in October. And um, we would see it do really well on the shelves and consumers would respond to it. And then uh, November 1st, everything would just kind of return to normal. And we thought, why not start our own thing? And um, why not do it where we're giving back 365 days a year? And that was really um, woven into the fabric of of our company from the very beginning is um, giving back to multiple causes every single day. So, okay, let's go back to the beginning of One Hope. Then you're, there's six of you. You've gone through management training basically at Gallo. Mm-hmm. And then you just go, okay, we're going to start a wine company. Like, how do you do that if you don't have a winery? How do you, mm-hmm. like, where do you get the bravado? Yeah. Um, <laughs> the gravitas to do that. Yeah. You know what? It's interesting because I've thought about this a lot since then, kind of looking back. And, um, we were very confident. We were all top salespeople at Gallo and Gallo is the number one wine company in the world. And I think that's what gave us the confidence. I think it's one out of four bottles of wine consumed is a Gallo product. So when you start with the biggest, you kind of like, you kind of get a little confidence where it's like, maybe we can do this. Maybe this was us that, that helped this along. Right. Even though there was only a few of us. And so I think we gained a lot of confidence because of that. We were selling a lot of product. And what we did was we bottled 168 cases of wine out of a custom crush facility in Sonoma, which is right over the hill um, from where actually our winery located is now. Um, We didn't have our own property. We really started as a virtual winery and you could do that, you know, and people do it more and more every day. Not every wine 
that you support or that you consume has um, actually physical property behind it, right? It has a brand and stuff like that. So that's how we started. And we just kind of hit, we had like a very small office. We picked up the wine from Sonoma Wine Company, drove it down to Southern California, where we actually lived in a U-Haul, parked it in a storage unit, would meet at that storage unit every day and would just hit the streets and present our wine to restaurants, small wine shops. Um, We started with three varietals. We had a Chardonnay that was supportive of women with breast cancer, a Cabernet that supported children with autism and a Merlot that supported um, the global fight against AIDS. And we were very passionate about those causes. We talked about them a lot. Um, with all of our customers, they responded well. But what we also learned even back in the beginning days is everybody had their own cause. I think it's because we were presenting multiple. It was like one hope for many causes that people kind of, their mind went right away to the cause that was near and dear to their hearts. And so that's something that we've evolved as well. Cause as um, you know, we, you are able to support one hope. We deliver straight to your door and you can donate 10% to any cause that you care about. So it's really evolved from um, back in those early days to a platform that you can raise money. You know, if you're buying wine anyways, why not buy it and support a cause that you care about? Right. So, but you know, so you're buying this basically it's already like done. Right. But what about like the taste? Like, what about, you know, did you like it? Was it good? (laughs) It it wasn't as good as it is now, um, but it actually was pretty good. So when we went to this custom crush facility, I think what we sort of knew in the back of our heads is like, this juice is in our wine, but it's probably in multiple other wines <laughs> as oh well. God. But it was pretty good. Custom always, juice or custom what crush? It was the it's a custom crush facility. So essentially, you can go and you can order, you know, like sort of a white label Chardonnay, Cabernet, yeah. and Merlot, and you could put your own yeah, label on it. Okay, mm-hmm. so you're building a brand, you're building um, and like a social cause company. But this is, you know, and you're, but, but your focus isn't even really on the product itself, right? It's not. And I think it wasn't um, really that is, that is now. It, yeah. Yeah. We made sure that the quality is good because I think we knew that anyone would try it once for the cause, but yeah. we've been able to improve it over time because we knew that the value really needed to be there. And it was like sort of the fact that we were giving back was icing on top, you know? So that's how we competed. Um, We were able to get the wine, I would say, leaps and bounds better right away. Our very first winemaker that we worked with was a man um, named David Elliott, and he was a pretty renowned winemaker. He made Clos de Bois. And so we were able to kind of grow into that quickly. And then um, very shortly after we started, a few years after, we got... Um, connected with the Mondavi family. Mm -hmm. And that really was, um, you know, put us on the map in terms of winemaking. Um, We worked with Rob Mondavi Jr., which the grandson of Robert Mondavi and his father, Michael Mondavi, has supported us through winemaking investments, um, things like that. So that um, was an amazing partnership that we formed that um, helped us add, helped us a little bit with the credibility, just because like we talked about, it's hard when you're just kind of And nobody um, to start this. And everybody wondered, like, everybody asked me, you know, oh, great. Like, I love this concept. I love this wine. Like, where's your winery? You know, and I wasn't able to say like Rutherford next question, like I can now. So I I had to, you know, we really had to build up the quality story and really prove that over the first 10 years of the company. 
And I'm really proud, you know, looking back, it's like now we have several 90 point wines. Um, we have winemakers. Now Rob actually um, uses our facility to make wine with Mari, our head winemaker, who is a phenomenal, just rock star winemaker. So yeah. it's really cool to like kind of have seen that evolve over time, right. but it takes time and you have to start somewhere for us. It was a custom crush facility and it was just focusing top of mind on the quality of the product and just starting somewhere and then improving it over time. Yeah. 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 So I love it. Cause you're like building your brand, you're building your mission and then the product mm-hmm. is, is good, but you know, very good. But then you're making it like great, you know, with like the whole premise being that you can make the world, you know, you can, you can have impact in the world and also, be a commercial endeavor, you know, which is one of the things that we try to talk to women about all the time. You don't just have to be, you know, you, you don't have to be um, scared to have money or, or want money or any of those things. That's a good, that could be a great thing. It's just what you do with the money, right. And how you handle it. So, okay. So then you have, you meet the Mondavi family and then now you're in, in a different way, because as we were just talking about, you have, you know, the family, you know, the dynamic in Napa. And so now you get some credibility and you're building the, the company and then what, like, so what, so what was that next step? When did you finally get some land that you are on now in St. Helena. Yep. So like I said, up until um, we actually just purchased the property about five years ago. So the first 10 years of the company, we really just started working on using the best facilities, um, the winemaking facilities in California. And we actually still do that. So even the property um, that we have now, it's a 10 acre property. We have our own boutique winery that we make a lot of our reserves wine out of, but um, we are even bigger than our boutique winery. So we have built the business to be pretty um, asset light in that regard, just so we have the the ultimate, you know, kind of free reign to buy the best juice on the market, to use any facility um, as big or small as we needed. Um, a couple of years ago, we just broke the top 250 wineries by volume in the U.S., of which there's 10,000, I think, plus wineries now. So um, we still use other winemaking facilities, but we were able to discover uh, this property in Rutherford. And we've been able to build that property and purchase that property through a community of um, investors that get to use the property and share in our wine club on the property and things like that. So that has been a dream come true, um, truly, just because having the physical manifestation of the brand, like the flagship property and being able to build it from the ground up. It's really awesome to have a place, um, that sense of place within the industry and roots in the ground quite literally. But then also we use it for our amazing community to visit of cause entrepreneurs. We can entertain customers there. And it's just It's just about having like at least one physical flagship property. And then of course we are able to make our iconic wines off of the property. So we have single vineyard wines that we produce at the highest, um, highest touch level, um, our most aspirational wines that are, that are really yummy as well. So, um, we kind of have the gamut for sure. And this property completes it, I think in a lot of ways. Yeah. Cause it's gorgeous and beautiful. And anybody, anytime <laughs> yeah. anybody's there, it's on yes. St. Helena and, um, it is beautiful. So anybody should stop by. Absolutely. Sure. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what you just mentioned. So as you're growing it, you're not saying they're going just to look like wine stores or liquor stores or depending on the state, what they're called, like they're packed. What, what do they call them? Like Massachusetts, like packs. 
shops or something. There's yeah, liquor. like um, state run liquor stores. Yeah, and- there's like all there. It's like different everywhere, right? But yes. um, you guys did another bit. You you decided it wasn't like you didn't want to just like disrupt because you weren't a part of the family. You also wanted the the way you were selling your wine is completely different, and that is through cause entrepreneurs. So mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about that and wh- where that came from and how you built that and what exactly a cause entrepreneur is? Maybe let's start there. Yes, absolutely. So um, we have a community of cause entrepreneurs and a cause entrepreneur is a independent representative of One Hope. So sort of like a brand ambassador. And it's really easy to um, start with us, join our community and basically start marketing One Hope Wine in your local community. So we are doing something very, very different. So when we first started One Hope, it was back in 2007. Uh, the traditional way that you really built a wine brand was like, like you said, through wholesale, right? Through you sold your wine through to a distributor and then they sold it to a retailer and then they sold it to the end customer. And um, you really had to work hard to get the focus of distributors. They sold a thousand other, not just wine companies, but they sold beer and liquor and all of that. Right. And then um, once you did get their attention, then let's say you did get to a place where you had a placement on a shelf where you can get in front of that five foot five right-handed woman that I talked about. Um, A lot of the time, new brands like ours, they just sit there and they kind of collect dust because our story I always like to say, like, just, I knew that sharing our story and and our vision, it just didn't belong sitting on a shelf collecting dust. It belonged in the hands of other women who were really passionate about helping people and loved wine. And we had so many people wanting to join our community, really kind of like grassroots style at first and share our mission and like host a wine tasting at their house. And of course they wanted to fundraise because they knew that's what we were all about. And so over time, we were able to really go direct to consumer and create this alternative route to market. Uh, when we first started One Hope, we could only legally ship to five uh, states direct to consumer. And oh, now wow. we have um, over 45. And so the landscape of the industry has really changed. The laws have changed. Oh, um, you could only do that legally. Legally in five states when we first started One Hope. How so long ago was that? 15 years. 15 years ago, you couldn't ship to other states. Mm-mm. You can only do California, New York, oh. New Jersey, Florida. I think I'm trying to think of the fifth, but there was only five when we first started. So we had the the desire to really go directly to the customer and tell our story and be direct to, con- to consumer and sell it online. In fact, um, when Amazon sold wine online, we were the best selling wine on Amazon. And even Amazon uh, backed out and uh, don't, doesn't sell wine anymore. So the industry is certainly changing a lot. And what we figured out operationally behind the scenes is, is really exciting just because um, figuring out how to ship those heavy boxes around that are very, very compliance heavy. That's tough these days. And so we figured out fulfillment and shipping and the compliance side of, of booze, which isn't easy, honestly. And that's probably why people don't do it as well. And so like looking forward to our longer term vision, it was about, again, um, getting our wine in, in this, in the hands of like these local women who really wanted to support what we're doing. They loved good wine. They loved hearing our story. They loved being connected to our mission and then having their own mission. And it's, I think what they've and been making able to their own do, money, making their own money. Exactly. So it was sort of like, we're democratizing the Napa Valley wine tasting experience because we have, uh, 10,000 cause entrepreneurs that could act like 
tasting associates if you go to Napa, you know, and, and do a wine tasting. But we've also democratized the opportunity to be in the industry, which is really an opportunity that didn't exist when we first started that we've kind of created through this and through um, just always driving towards our mission. And it just led us to this realization of like, why can't anyone join the wine industry? Like not people that were, weren't just born into it. Um, not just, you know, men that were succeeding in leadership positions and distributors or wine suppliers and whatnot. Why can't, you know, the mom in Yonkers like join, um, who has another job, who loves wine, who wants to make extra money on the side, who maybe wants to earn, you know, a full-time income on the side, whatever it has, whatever it may be. So part of our, our mark that I think one hope is going to leave on the world is not just, um, what we've been able to donate to nonprofits, but it's really, um, the opportunity and all of the money that we've put into these women and right in the pockets of moms and, and women that have made a difference in their community versus putting the money in the pockets of distributors. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. And no, like you, you, you have like, you've helped a lot of women, you know, be able to have more freedom of choice, you know, mm-hmm. and work-life balance and doing it when it works for them. And then, you know, disrupting an industry, like you said, you know, I actually, I love the way that you put it. Um, they have access to it, but they don't have to live there and have millions of dollars to own a plot of land and, you know, start a wine, you know, a vineyard. And I mean, all of that just upfront costs is like prohibitive, right? Absolutely. If you wanted to go buy and you had a brand and wanted to get it at, um, I don't know why I keep forgetting the crush place. <laughs> yeah. Custom cr- yeah, totally. A custom crush shop. Yes. Like, you know, you still need a lot of upfront costs and, uh, and it's very difficult. So, I mean, I love that. I love that you're, you basically are employing another, you know, or they're helping themselves like 10, you know, thousand women. And then on top of all of that, you also have a female winemaker, right? We do. Yes. Mari Wells Coyle. She is um, incredible. She understands our community of wine club members of cause entrepreneurs, what they want. She's incredibly passionate about wine education and women in wine education. And on top of all of that, she just makes um, kick-ass wines. She previously has made wines all over the world. Um, When she came to us, she was actually making sterling wine in Napa. So we snagged her up and she is now running our winery and the small winemaking, wonderful winemaking team that we have and all of our contracts. And she really is incredible. She's a star for sure. And so when you're talking to these, um, I mean, it's amazing. I love the fact that you have her and and Mm -hmm. that she's been doing this forever, but like decided that she wanted to come and, and work for you all. I mean, how many female winemakers are there actually? You know what? I'm not sure. The last, this last statistics I've seen is 1%, 1% of winemakers are female. So it's, it's incredibly low. Um, we have Mari and, and we also have uh, Isadora, who's our assistant winemaker. And then we have one. So right now we have a team of three. And then, like I said, they work with many partners, yeah. um, but it's very low. And she's built an awesome community of, of female winemakers that she's works with in the Valley. I know, but yeah, it's a very low number. Yeah. 1% is pretty low, especially women. the last thing I saw. I'm like, that can't be right, but it's very low, whatever it is. Cause right. even if that's, even if that's like a few percentages off, it's right, right. Right. 
All right. So, you know, you've had about 15 years in doing this and helping build this community. And and I certainly know when I'm on board calls that we are usually the only two women on there. Right. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's still like daunting and it's still sometimes it's hard to be like the other on there. You know, mm-hmm. as you're going through this, like obviously one of the things that this, that, you know, one of the reasons of this podcast is like, so other women could like learn, you know, see that you can do these things and want to, and want to do it. Like, like what are the things that you have learned that you did got right or things that you do differently in growing in this business as a woman? Mm-hmm. I would, um, I would probably do a lot differently if I could talk to my younger self, right? I think we, we all would, and we learn over time. I think one of the things that I identified about myself, um, I think it was, oh gosh, about five years ago is, um, I read, uh, Rajma Shujani's book, Brave, um, Not Perfect. I don't know oh, yeah. if you've, yeah, I know that. That. yeah. And um, I got it. I had it recommended at me actually by one of our cause entrepreneurs, Jess Landau. And I kind of went into it thinking like, well, I'm really brave, right? Like I'm a cause entrepreneur. I have a lot of confidence. I'm in sales, all of these things. And I realized kind of even what I was doing and, and the barriers I was putting on myself by trying to either mimic somebody else that wasn't me. And I think when you try to do that, when you're so concerned about being perfect, you're not taking risks. And that was the biggest thing is like, I really realized that I could take even more risks. And like I I guess said, like I consider myself a a risk taker, right? So that was really interesting because I think earlier in my career, I would have done things differently. Um, I think when you're afraid to take risks and you're so worried about fitting in a box and, and being like what everybody wants you to be, Um, you don't, you're, you overanalyze things. Like I noticed I was reading, like rewriting an email or rereading my email like five times. And I would get an email from a male coworker that was like, okay, done. And I was like, is that your email? Like, wow. Like just efficiency. You know what I mean? Just like not worrying about what others thought about their response to that email. Like that was very foreign to me. And so I really worked on that. Um, I would think a lot about what I would say in a meeting before I would speak up and say it. Um, I still do that too much, I think. And um, like nothing, no knock against my male coworkers, certainly because I work with the best of the best. But I mean, like when I identified it, I could notice that they were not putting the amount of effort into censoring themselves, into making sure they were forming like these clear, perfect thoughts and sentences. It was just like, get it out there, you know? And because of that, I think um, when you're brave and you take risks more, you grow more, right? And I think taking feedback was something that I've worked really hard on. I'm always asking for feedback and how I could do better. I hated getting feedback before because it was like feedback meant that I wasn't like perfect, you know? So it was like the worst thing you could get in the world. Like, what do you mean you have feedback for me? And it was like, no, somebody's doing you a service by giving you feedback. And that's the only way you grow is outside of your comfort zone. And like all of these things about taking risks. And for me, it wasn't about these big risks, like starting a business. It was about like, not worrying about what you said, not overanalyzing an email, not overanalyzing someone's response to you, not thinking about the negative feedback, not the constructive feedback that someone gave you for like a week after they gave it, like take it and move on, you know? And that's something that I've been working on that I would certainly save my younger self a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Well, that's, I mean, that's it. Like, right. Like when, I don't know, we have it in our DNA. We have it in our genes. I don't know what it is that we, everything we do, we want it to be perfect. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't serve us. 
you know, Absolutely. and I see it yeah. in my nine-year-old twins. I see it in my daughter. I don't see it in my son. <laughs> you know. We both have a daughter and a son. And I, ever since I kind of identified that for myself, I work on that with her is like huh. the way that she doesn't want to speak up in class or like wants to get all of these answers. Right. And it's like, and my son is just like, whatever, you know what I mean? Like I yeah. tried, I missed whatever. Like he strikes out of baseball all the time. Like when my daughter messes up in her sports, it's like end of the world, you know, it's just yeah. interesting. Yeah, no, I know. And it's like giving us like forgiving ourselves and giving us some slack and like, you know, it's not going to serve us to, and also like not doing everything right. That's one of the biggest things. It's like, we put it all on. It's like, do everything. And so if somebody knows something about something that you don't know, you're like defensive, like, how do I not know that? You know? And it's like, well, you're not supposed to, it's not your job. Like it's my job to know that. Absolutely. And like, what about this whole concept? It's like when you're trying to like be the best at everything, you know, in all aspects, it's like, you know, you think about being a mom and, um, you know, being, being at work. Right. And it's like, you got to like be at work. Like, like you're not even a mom, like that's how good you have to be. And then you have to be a mom. Like you don't even have a job, you know? And like, when I started thinking about that concept, I was like, wow, like that's what I was actually trying to do. And I was like, just killing myself doing it. And so it's interesting now. Cause I think about like the work-life balance differently. Like I don't even think about it as balance anymore. I really try to think about it as integration because yeah. it's like these things, then they don't have to be like in conflict with each other. And the pendulum swing doesn't have to like weigh each other out. It's like, they could kind of seamlessly work together. And I recommend that all of our, you know, moms that work at one hope do that. And certainly our CEs do that. And I would and recommend dads, by the way. Else. Yeah. Like you just, I don't know. I just, kind of integrate my kids and my husband in <laughs> to the work and as much as I can, because it's like, when you're trying to balance it all, it's just, I just don't think that balance. Yeah. I mean, that's you know, one of the things with COVID it's like, it's kind of one of the great democratizers and understanding yes. the burden put on women in like the workplace and at home at the same time. It's like, that's yeah, cool. it's not easy. It's in, in fact, it's not just not easy. It's impossible. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can't, there's no balance of them. It's like, you're either spending time in one or you're spending time with another. And so you can, like you said, integrate it all in one day. It just doesn't have to be this one solid work day. It's like, absolutely, you know, nine to five and that's it. It's like, if I want to answer an email at 10 o'clock, I can do that. You know, if I want to answer an email at 6am, I can do that too, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, it does not mean that I'm better or worse than, or any of the above, you know, and beat myself Mm -hmm. up over it. Um, But yes, it's like, these are all things that I think women wish that they knew and understood, but it's so hard until you get there. Right. And it's so hard to see it and be like aware of these things that could be limiting and and holding you back, you know? Absolutely. Um, But I think the best, the best thing is that you can identify them when you identify them and you can work on them. Right. And know they exist. Well, okay. So you guys have now like, here you are, you're, you know, you have a winery now, people couldn't come see you, you know, it's growing. It's like, you know, more and more people are learning about this brand every day and you know what, like what's next. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we have this vision of, of being the most purpose-driven marketplace in the U S and that really starts with wine right now. And, um, I talked a little bit about what we've been able to figure out behind the scenes with shipping and logistics and fulfillment and compliance. 
And um, I really, in addition to growing our cause entrepreneur opportunity and growing our cause entrepreneurs to a hundred thousand plus community of women, I think that we have a real opportunity to help other wineries do the same thing that we've done because other small wineries have the same distribution challenges that, that we did starting out. And so I think, you know, the future is really um, thinking about a marketplace and um, being able to offer really cool products to our community um, that have amazing stories that deserve to be told that want to reach customers like outside of Napa or outside of the few grocery stores that you can get placements in. So right. I think but that digital, that's- digital one, because uh, the other thing that we haven't even hit on is one hope has a great interface tech, like a technology, Absolutely. Right? which is definitely is not something that wineries are known for. No. At all, right. <laughs> exactly. Like you, that's the first thing you think winery technology, like, Yeah, absolutely. And that's the one thing that we've really, that's the other thing too, just like we, our technology really supports our ability to grow this community and make an impact on every single front. I mean, when you go to our website, to the thousands of personal websites that's powered um, for our CE community, to their back office, to how they get paid, to how they get coached, to how they learn about wine, um, that is all um, unique and proprietary to us. So we're, we probably have one of the largest technology teams in, in the wine industry, even though we're by far not the largest yet in the wine industry. But that's been something that we've done differently too, just because we understand that we need technology and that's how we're going to scale really our mission and our vision. So, well, I mean, that's, I mean, it kind of proves a point. It's like, you know, you do things the same way over and over and over again. And then it just takes somebody to come in and disrupt it. And it's like, I don't know why you're doing it this way. I think we should just do it this way. You know what I mean? That's what helps the industry grow, you know, and become something. It's like people like to hold on to the past and it's great, but that doesn't mean you can't grow and thrive. So here are these like outsiders who come in and like, Hey, we're going to do it this way. And they're like, wait, what? You know, but it it helps everybody, right? It helps, Mm -hmm. it helps a whole industry expand and grow and become more attractive to a population in like Gen Z that's actually Mm -hmm. drinking less wine and like, you know what I mean? And so you want to attract, if they're drinking less wine, you want to attract the ones who do and believe in everything. You want to make sure that you're getting them. So how can you do that and get in front unless you're mission aligned with what their values are, right? And people care about that. They want to like walk, they want to put their money where their mouth is literally, you know, and and like shop with their dollars and their, you know, and their vision and their, their missions and their own personal values, you know? So I love everything that you're all doing. And I love that it's female co-founded, you know, Mm -hmm. you're bringing in all of these women um, Mm -hmm. as cause entrepreneurs that, that can support their own families this way, as well as a female winemaker. So, and giving all this money back. And giving us all, all this money back. And thank you so much for just being on our board of directors. I know that we mentioned that, but, you know, thank you for everything that you're doing to support. Thank you for having me here today, but thank you for being on our board really and helping us um, as an advisor. It really, it really means a lot. And I hope we get to work more together in the future too. Oh, we will for sure. <laughs> for sure. Okay. So we have to wrap this up because you have a busy day. Um, but I always ask one question at the very end, and that is, what is the worst advice you've ever received? Mm-hmm. And is it from Jake? I'm just kidding. Jake's the CEO. <laughs> <She loved> Jake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, you know what? 
it's an interesting question because I feel like I, I, when you really think about it, you really have received so much bad advice, especially as a young woman trying to start in this industry. Yeah. I think the worst that, and I, I feel like I can picture like multiple people telling this to me when I first started um, at Gallo. And it was usually, it was just always a dude telling me this. And it was like, keep your head down and get to work and kind of like, you'll get promoted eventually, like keep your head down and do the work. And it was like, when I think back, I think that like, there's so much wrong with that. You know, if you're kind of like keeping your head down and having this tunnel vision and just like, to me, it it meant sort of like, don't speak up. Um, You know what I mean? Like, don't be your authentic self, which I think so much of the world needs our authentic self because we are so different. And you don't just want to like start mimicking, you know, your boss or your boss's boss or your boss's boss, because then we're never going to build anything different. So I would say, no. definitely don't, don't do that. I think do the work certainly, but I think yeah. keeping your head down and people like telling you that is like, just absolutely like, don't ever like keep your head in the ground that's, and like oh, pay attention way, to what's around you. Yeah. That's my mind too. I Are said you, that. Yes. Yes. Because you're like, okay, so you said, and then I just wait to get noticed. Like, no, yeah, it's like, going to happen. No, like, absolutely. No, I'm not going to sit here and do the work and then like, oh, please recognize me. And look, yes. Do you have to do work? Do you have to work hard absolutely. when you're, you know, starting a business? Absolutely. Do you yeah. have to work more than you want to when you're first starting out? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, did I spend weekends learning stuff on the side, you know, so I could, you know, get ahead? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But you know what? If I want to get it, like people want to acknowledge me and I want to get acknowledged and I want to move up, I can't yeah. sit there with my head. I got to be out there too. I have to network and I have to learn more and I have to be meeting with clients and meet with my peer group who will eventually taking over, you know, which is what happened. And, you know, you have to get out there too, because we, you know, as women, like if you can't see it, you can't be it. Right. Yep. This is why I want people like you and women like you on, on this podcast. So people are like, oh, well, I've never even thought about it. Like I love like one, it would be great to do something that has agriculture and, you know, sales and marketing and mm-hmm. branding and mm-hmm. drinking wine and consumer product and, you know, social mm-hmm. causes. Like there's so many elements to it that you could be a part of. Right. Yeah. Um, that are really traditionally male for the most part. And that, you know, if I want to be noticed, it's not going to be like sitting in a corner, like yeah, putting my head down and doing the work. It's like, yeah, but it's like, why don't you, you know, you just stay there and, and look pretty and you yeah. know, let me know. <laughs> I know. Ready. It's like, yes. oh, I don't think so. So yeah. Yeah. And it was always a guy saying that, you know, and it was just like, I feel like they always use the word like kid at the end, like keep your head down kid and you'll no, make it sweetie. one day. Kiddo. I got no. kiddo a lot. Kiddo. I'm like, oh my God, I kiddo. am. Kiddo. Like, yeah. And you're calling me. <laughs> yes. Awful. But we could go on and on about that. Um, anyway, this has been great. It's been great to be on a Zoom call and there's actually all, you know, two women instead of like, you know, all dudes mm-hmm. and like, they're all great, but they all have a lot more money than we do, um, mm-hmm. you know, on our board. And like, you know, it's like unrelatable. And it's like, I want to change that. I want to change that wealth gap. And and yes. have women be able to make these decisions and be in these rooms and move the needle like that because it's, you know, it's game changing for us when, when that happens. Um, but thank yes. you so much for being here and thank you for sharing all of your wisdom and your story. Um, so if people want to know more about you and One Hope Wines, how do they find you? OneHopeWine.com, all spelled out. Um, so we have all of our information on our site. Um, you can host a wine tasting fundraiser. You can become a wine club member. You can become a cause entrepreneur. Everything's there. 
Amazing. Um, Thank you, Tiffany. And to everyone listening, thank you for listening to this episode. Let us know if there's any other subjects you want us to cover. Oh my God. And as an aside, this weekend, I heard my daughter with her um, friends recording a video and she was like, smash that like button. And I was like, oh my God, you just turned nine. Smash that like button, everybody, if you like. Absolutely. But until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice.